Welcome to the podcast of Wiser, Women in Surgery at the Emory Residencies, where we share the careers and life stories of Emory surgeons across all specialties to recognize the diverse achievements happening right here at our own institution. Welcome back to the Wiser Podcast. I'm Vivian Wang, here with Caroline Coleman, and today we are excited to talk to Dr. Tonkrit Stiblo, who specializes in breast cancer. Dr. Stiblo joined Emory faculty in 1988 and has been a diplomat of the American Board of Surgery since 1986. Dr. Stiblo represents the entire state of Georgia for the Association of Women Surgeons and is also a fellow of the American College of Surgeons. She has contributed to notable breast cancer research and has been named an Atlanta top doctor and America's top surgeons. So to get started, can you tell us about where you grew up and how you first became interested in surgery? Well, I grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, and was there pretty much until I went to medical school. And I guess I always knew about surgery because my father was a general surgeon. He was in private practice. And so I was used to having him be gone in the morning before uh-huh. I got up. And frequently he would get back after we had dinner in the evening. There were He had long days, but I always remember he would come home and he would be reading one journal or another, one book or another, and he always seemed very challenged and interested in learning new things. It seemed like a very dynamic field to me. So I I guess it's just something I grew up with, and I guess probably he was my first mentor, somebody who loved what he did and inspired me, I guess, to wonder if it was something I would love as much. Did he actively encourage you to go after surgery? No, I would say probably actively discouraged me (laughs) from going into surgery. He always emphasized to all of us that we needed to do something that would bring us independence and happiness, but he never by any means thought that necessarily that would be medicine or surgery for any of us. And you mentioned that he was a mentor. Did you have any female mentors or were there even any women in surgery? During residency, I trained in the Jesuit training program. So there was a tradition of nuns and missionaries in the residency program. So I, by by no means, was I the first woman who trained in surgery Mm -hmm. in my program. They had trained many nuns um, and who would go and practice in third world countries in the surgery program. So you went to Stanford, Mm -hmm. and then what got you to go to medical school? When did you know? At Stanford, I primarily did sciences. I spent a summer at the Marine Station, Hopkins Marine Station, so I love marine biology. But I also did something called, with Stanford, you had the opportunity to do something called a co-terminal program so that you could get your master's and your bachelor's at the end of four years if you spent time in a research lab. And the time I spent in the research lab getting my master's was actually looking at tumor markers in the pathology department. So I, I learned, you know, a fair amount about basic science and some somewhat about translational science when I was actually an undergraduate. And I, at that point, I had applied to medical school and actually got into medical school and thought to myself, well, maybe I really like science. It seems really fun. Mm-hmm. So actually, I went to at one of my mentors, and he his advice to me is, well, you really ought to go to medical school. It'll give you a good liberal education, and then you could decide if you wanted <laughs> to go on and do something more. So that's what I did. Did you think about becoming a marine biologist at any point? Uh, no, it's, I love marine biology, yeah. and I like the science of diving medicine and hyperbarics, and I learned a lot about that, but I never really was interested in, that was too hard a life to 
make it as a marine biologist. Yeah. And then the master's that you got with your bachelor's, what was that? That in? was in biochemistry when I was okay. doing the research um, in pathology and tumor markers. And then after your general surgery residency, what was your path? So when I finished general surgery, I actually thought for a while about going back to California and practicing. I'd always kind of thought I would go into practice with my dad. And, and his advice to me is he said, you know, I got drafted in the Second World War, and then I got drafted into the Korean War. So he's, he lost a lot of years for military service. And he says, if I hadn't lost all those years, I definitely would have wanted to do academic medicine. So I decided, well, I would do a fellowship. And the fellowship that appealed to me the most was surgical oncology because I liked the idea of multiple organ systems. And I had already had a translational basic science background in tumor markers. So I did yeah. a surgical oncology fellowship. And were you doing breast cancer at that point? Or no, when I first came here, I was doing surgical oncology. Um, and I really came here with the intent of doing surgical oncology. And actually, when I first came to Grady, I was doing all the endocrine and cancer surgery down at Grady. And actually, one of my colleagues, uh, Jerome Landry, who is a, was a radiation oncologist, was recruited about the same time I were, really introduced the whole concept of breast conservation and radiation therapy down at Grady when we got there. Mm -hmm. So it was a very interesting time. This was, remember, 30 years ago. So you sort of gravitated towards breast cancer over the years? I mean, I think it turned out to be more of a fortuitous and natural sort of selection process. I think a lot of patients who have breast cancer like having a female surgeon, right. and there really mm -hmm. weren't very many female surgeons. So I got a lot of women, plus I had a wonderful relationship with John Boswick, who was um, really an innovative leader in plastic surgery, and together we did developed a lot of newer techniques, skin-sparing mastectomy, immediate reconstruction. At the time, I was still trying to also get my lab up and running, so it gave me a little more, um, instead of having, you know, pretty sick bout of biliary patients, it gave me more of ability to control my hours so that I had some time in the lab, number one, and number two, because the model I was working on was an adoptive sort of immunotherapy model using draining lymph nodes and breast cancer in mm -hmm. a mouse model. So having a breast cancer practice also facilitated the yeah. research model that I was using. We know your daughter is a, a surgery resident. Yes. What were your thoughts or what advice did you give her when she told you that she wanted to go into surgery? I think that the, the best advice I gave her is that she has to do something that challenges her and that she really loves. And somebody told me the same thing. You know, at the end of the day, you spend most of your waking hours at work. And people, went, during my residency and during medical school, a lot of times says, well, you know, women can't be surgeons and tried to talk me out of doing it. You know, you should, should do something else. And I actually, a couple of times, switched and tried to do other things. I mean, I think for a while I decided I would be a pediatrician because that was a better lifestyle. But, you know, I really didn't love pediatrics. I right. really loved surgery. And so at the end of the day, I think I've advised other people who have come and talked to me about this you know, how is it going to impact my personal life and how is it going to impact my social life? And my response to them is, well, you have to be who you are and you have to do what you love. And you want the people who love you to love you for who you are. Mm -hmm. And if you try to be something you're not or you give up something you really love to try to be something you're not, eventually no one will be happy and you will be resentful and it will not work out. So... Mm -hmm. I think you have to be patient and you have to understand that there, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like you're ever going to find anybody to spend your life with that loves you for what you are and for your passions, you know, somehow it works out and you find those people. And yeah. sometimes it takes longer than you think and it's hard sometimes you think it will never happen. But it's tempting to 
compromise on that. And I think you have to be careful about that. So beyond surgery, what are your hobbies and interests? Before I went to college, I was a ballet dancer. Okay. And one of the first decisions I had to make in my professional career was whether I was going to, I got a scholarship at Jacques Ballet or I was going to go to college. Oh. And that wasn't as hard a decision as you would think. Okay. <laughs> because although I love ballet and I love to dance, that's a pretty short-lived career. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're kind of over the hill by the time you're like, what, 21 or something like that. <laughs> so I decided as much as I love ballet, that would have to be something I was going to do for myself and not as a career. Do you still dance? Yes, not as much as I used to. Um, still ballet or other forms? Mostly ba- mostly classical ballet, but uh-huh. some other too. They're sort of hobbies where you have to be very disciplined, and it's interesting because a lot of surgeons often enjoy things like that, and I think it also is something that forms you into being able to handle surgery. And Well, I mean, so. I think that the parallels between ballet and, and surgery, I've thought about this a lot, because I think surgery requires a lot of physical stamina. Certainly, and I was in a ballet company before I went to college, and it requires a lot of discipline because you have long hours and rehearsals and... I can still remember not being able to go out to dinner before my junior prom and getting dressed at my after my rehearsal to go to the prom and then getting to go out to breakfast after the prom. And even then, my ballet master really didn't think we should be going to proms at all, that that was, boys, shouldn't be part of the equation if you were a serious dancer, which clearly I wasn't because I didn't become a ballet dancer. But So it requires a lot of physical stamina. It requires a lot of discipline. It requires, you know, you work with corps de ballet, you work with pas to do, you have a partner. And some partners you click with and Mm -hmm. anticipate your moves, and you know they're going to be there when you jump Mm -hmm. versus not, which doesn't work out well. And in many ways, when certainly the type of surgery that I do with immediate breast reconstruction, and I've worked for many years with first Dr. Bostwick and then Dr. Loskin, I mean, I think it's the same sort of idea. You know, you work with somebody enough, you think alike, Mm -hmm. you approach problems the same way, and you, I mean, you kind of know when you're ready for them, they're going to be walking in the room because they know they can anticipate what you're going to be doing and how to help each other. So I think all those things, and, you know, you're on your feet a lot. You have to learn how to work with the other members of the team. Same thing with sports. I think a lot of athletes go into surgery, and I think it's the same idea. I remember when I was a medical student and and watching cases and assisting that watching the surgeon and the first assist and the scrub tech, it was like a dance with the handling of instruments and anticipating and and handing things to the surgeon without even being asked, which I thought was really neat. It's very fluid. And you you technically are in a theater for both. Yes, Mm -hmm. operating theater. Yep. Lots of parallels. Is there anything else you feel like... We should talk about or share. I think support women supporting themselves is is a very important thing. I think we need to support each other, and when good things happen, congratulate yeah. each other. And you know, when bad things happen, everybody deals with that differently. Right. Sometimes people want support. Sometimes people just need space. But I think knowing that people are there to support you. I think that's a really good point because we know data has shown that men see it as part of progressing in the career to promote themselves. But women, just naturally because of our personality or just our preference, we shy away from that and we prefer to advocate for other people, which is part of the reason, one of the reasons why we're doing this is that no one likes to talk about themselves and promote themselves, but it's easier for us to do it on behalf of someone else. I think it's a good point that we do need to learn in part to do it for ourselves because you don't necessarily know that someone's going to do it for you, and it's more natural for men. It is. I don't know that that will ever change, but you're right. 
there's a huge difference. And having more women in, in leadership roles may help change that. We're hoping so. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to today's Wiser podcast. Hope you join us next time for another great interview.